Malachi, the book of Malachi. We have worked our way through the entire Old Testament, and oftentimes when I give you uh, some of these names, and you're like, well, I can't remember what page they're on, or I have to turn and find Haggai or Zechariah, we have worked our way up to Malachi and finishing the Old Testament, and so you can be finding that book there, uh, which has probably got a blank page after it, or maybe a page that introduces the New Testament. Uh, and we have worked our way through, and hopefully it's been encouraging to you, and we're going to finish up this morning with this very short book, uh, which hopefully has some good messages for us, and even as we think about the transition between the Old and the New Testament, and we will mention that uh, more in just a few moments. Uh, when we have talked about the minor prophets, we've been in the minor prophets now for several months, we've mentioned that the minor prophets are called the minor prophets, not because they are minor in importance, but only in length. Just as we're going to look at this afternoon, many of them are just a few chapters, just a few verses, and so they are very, very short, and so they have kind of been grouped together as the minor prophets. But there are some great and wonderful messages that are found in the minor prophets, and so they are very important. But if you ever hear anyone, and I think I can just go back one here, uh, as you look at this bookshelf, I know you can't make out everything uh, that's on it, but the blue books on the middle shelf is what's the minor prophets, and then the major prophets on the green to the left of the screen there. Uh, but when we think about them, there's a whole lot. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and now we're going to talk about Malachi. We have mentioned as well that if we could take one overarching theme of the minor prophets, it's that they are there to remind us of and to point out God's majesty, His holiness, His righteousness, and His justice. Uh, we have been working through the Old Testament some as well on Sunday mornings and trying to remind ourselves of the timeline, what's the order that the books go in, and maybe what's going on in history during this time. Because if you look at the minor prophets, sometimes they're a little more difficult. You open it up and maybe there's some prophetic words that you say, well, I'm not really sure what he's talking about here. Why is he talking about vines? Or why is he talking about other things? What is he meaning? Well, it's talking about, of course, all these four different things, pointing out uh, things that we we can learn about God, but it's also helpful for us to try to think about their place in, uh, in the Old Testament, and we're going to touch on Malachi in particular in just a moment. The book of Malachi is just 55 verses. I don't know how long it would take you to read 55 verses. All of us would probably be a little different. Some people are speed readers, and some people it might take a little bit longer, but in my Bible, it's about three full pages and just the bottom of one uh, other page. And so when you think about it in, th in that way, you could read the book of Malachi in one short sitting. Uh, it would take you a little more to digest it, as we're going to kind of talk about this afternoon. But it's encouraging to just sit down and read because it's not a long message. That, you know, similar, that's kind of what you guys feel about the preacher most Sundays, right? Doesn't have to be a long message. Keep it short, preacher. But just give us something good. So that's all right. I can associate with that. I'm good with that. Just 55 verses, only four chapters, but still some good messages there. Uh, the author is Malachi, and you have probably laughed about that before. Uh, and some people say, well, why does it matter, or why do you say that it's that person? Because in other books, we know that maybe uh, other writers wrote multiple books. We think about Solomon, the wise man Solomon. 
Uh, we also think about sometimes that there's scholars, and I usually say that right in the quotation, scholars, so-called scholars, who will debate things like who the author actually is. We have emphasized each time that we've mentioned this that the human author is Malachi, and he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to inspire him to write these words. And Malachi means messenger of the Lord messenger of the Lord. I'm going to let you write that down. If you have a bulletin and you're filling in the blanks, I'm going to give you a second to write that down before we move on. I'm sometimes accused of going too fast and not giving people enough time to fill in those blanks. I know, Gabe. I don't know why they'd say that. Uh, But uh, this is important when it comes to the author being Malachi, because notice here, messenger of the Lord. Somebody might say that the preacher is the messenger of the Lord. Somebody might say that we've talked about Heath. Heath last night did a great job and gave us a devotional thought at the Browns house as we had our our get-together and our devotional, and Heath gave us some encouraging thoughts. And somebody might say Heath is a messenger of the Lord. So when you think about it that way, there are some people who debate, and I know if you've ever read the book of Malachi, you may have never thought twice about it, but it is possible that some people say that Malachi might be a pseudonym because it just means messenger, messenger of the Lord. And Joel could be, and Heath could be, and any male here you know that might be preaching could be a messenger of the Lord. But I ask you to turn there, look at chapter 1 and verse 1, and notice how it's worded though. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, the way that's worded, it doesn't just seem like any old person. You know, just anybody off the street. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by by Malachi. We may not know much about him. We may not have any other information. But it doesn't just seem like any person. And so that's why we believe the author to be Malachi. Although some folks might say, well, it could be any messenger because that's just a generic name. All right, we've already touched on this for one second. And we're going to come back to it at the very end of our lesson. But Malachi precedes 400 years of prophetic silence. I know you're not going to be able to see it, but I think I've shown you before. I've got written on the blank page in my Bible, this one that I preach out of most of the time, 400 years of history. It's a good place to make a note like that and try to remind yourself that there are 400 years when you close the book of Malachi and you open up to Matthew, there's a lot of history there. And it's important. And so it's important to think about Malachi being the last book of the Old Testament because this is where divine revelation is silent as far as what is written down for us. Now, that doesn't mean that God disappeared. It doesn't mean that God went and took a nap somewhere and decided he wasn't going to do anything for 400 years. But the word of the Lord by the messengers, by the prophets, is going to take a back seat for a while. Now, we believe, some folks believe that, it's, that the Jews, when they came out of captivity, and that's around this time is written after they'd come out of captivity, that they came out of captivity back to Jerusalem, that they were probably expecting the Messiah to come very soon. One of the things we're going to emphasize, that the book of Malachi emphasizes, is that they become complacent. They become lax when it comes to certain things. Well, when can that happen? Well, that can happen when you're excited and you're excited the Messiah's coming, but he doesn't come, he doesn't come, he doesn't come, and you kind of get lax when you're in the middle of waiting. And 400 years is a long time. If they thought it was tough waiting for the Messiah, how hard was it probably for them waiting to hear a word from the Lord? 
And there is this period of silence. But the book of Malachi ends with a promise, and God says, I will keep my promise. And that promise is the sending of the Messiah. It's the sending of his son. And so that's just a little bit about the book right there. Let's get a few key thoughts and a few key things here. One of the key thoughts is that honor and reverence should be shown towards God. Honor and reverence should be shown toward, towards God. They have become casual and lax with God and especially towards worship, in their worship towards God. I mentioned it in the lesson this morning, it kind of came out, but, but is that not what most people today want to do? They want to sort of straddle the fence, as we say. They want to claim to follow Jesus, but they are really not fit to follow him because they're not committed. They're not willing to set aside the excuses and their own comfort and all of those things that we mentioned this morning, and so we become casual. Well, you know, it's just something else I do. My kids play sports, and I have my job, and we're a part of this community group, and we help these people, and we do this. Oh, and we, we attend this church over here. And that's, it's just part of everything else. It's not their first commitment. It's not what they firmly believe in and follow. It's just another part of their lives. This is what the children of Israel have done. This is their problem, that they, that the problem that they had, and a problem that we can have today. Isn't this what some people are trying to do? Can I give you two examples, and this is where people accuse the preacher of going to meddling sometimes, but can I ask you to consider two examples with me for just a moment, and I hope that you'll understand and hear exactly what I'm saying. Isn't this what, the way that some people treat worship towards God? And one way that some people I see do that is in dress when it comes towards worship towards God, Right? Now, you're saying, preacher, are you saying that it's a sin to wear jeans to worship or you've got to have a coat and tie on at all times? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you're only acceptable to God if you're in a suit every Sunday. What I am saying is that some people show up to worship simply whatever they feel like they want to wear to be comfortable and that God will just accept their casualness or their laxness on whatever it is they're doing. And that's the kind of mindset that begins to infiltrate with people and they become casual and lax toward God. It's not a, a sin to wear tennis shoes. It's not required to wear a coat. <clears throat> Nothing like that. But I am asking you to consider our attitude in things. The second thing along those lines is, what about attendance to worship? Is it that you have to be here 100% of the time and the first time that you miss, sorry, you're out of luck, you know, we'll kick you out or you got to move on. You have to have perfect attendance. That's not it. Missing one time at worship services is not condemned because it happens for various things. People who are sick or, or maybe someone's traveling and out of town. But what is our attitude towards worship and being present at worship? Is it the last thing on the list? Well, you know, I don't have anywhere to be. I'm feeling pretty good, and I don't think I want to sleep in today, so I think I'll go. Is that our attitude, casualness and being lax towards God and worship? Or is it, I'm going to center everything else around that? If I can go to worship first and then have other things going on in my day, that's the way I'll do it. That's my attitude towards worship. It's the most important thing. As we say sometimes, is it, do I have to do this, or do I want to, or do I get to? It's about our heart and our attitude. And their problem was they were trying to be casual with God. They were just trying to do the minimum. Not that there's a dress code. 
Not that there's 100% attendance and that's it. But they were trying to do the minimum and expecting God to be okay with that. And all I'm asking you to consider, and I do think this is a point towards what is brought out in the book of Malachi, is are you, and I have to answer for me, am I only doing the minimum or am I trying to give my best towards God? Trying to put my best foot forward when I am worshiping Him. Am I striving to worship a holy God and give Him my best? Am I striving to give Him honor and reverence? Or just be casual with Him? Just, you know, like we're friends and it's just whatever God will take, whatever I can give. It's just a thought and I think it does have to do with this lesson from the book of Malachi about the way our attitude is towards God. All right, there's three themes. The last one of the three is what's going to be in your outline if you have a bulletin in front of you. But let me give you a few other things here to think about some of the themes from the book. We've already mentioned this a little bit. It's what we were just saying. But one of the major themes is God's rebuke of his people for their spiritual indifference and moral laxity. I just think that word casual, you know, seems to kind of hit home here. Everyone's saying, I'm just going to do the minimum. I'm just going to be casual with God. It's not that he's the holy God, creator of the universe, who sent his only begotten son. It's that he's my, my pal or my friend and, and that kind of thing. We sing a song, I'll be a friend to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that and its idea. But what is our attitude towards these, thing, th these things? These people seem to have it where they were just striving to do the minimum. The bare minimum. And so he had to rebuke them for this. He needed to remind them of what he had done for them. And even though they had been in captivity, he had done so much for them and he would continue. And the Messiah is coming. And so they needed to set aside their indifference and their laxity and be faithful and honor and reverence him. Number two, one of the other themes of the book is God's assurance of his constant and continuing love in stark contrast to the unfaithfulness of the people. It was probably pretty shocking to them at times. Probably pretty hard to read. I don't know if you've ever been put in your place before. That's what we sometimes say, right? Maybe you were wrong. I've been there before, been wrong, and someone tells you you're wrong. It's kind of hard to hear. It's kind of hard to swallow and try to be honest and think about the situation in that way. God paints this picture for them multiple times through the voice of the prophets of their unfaithfulness. He uses things like marriage, right? He uses things like the marriage relationship to describe to them that they are like an unfaithful wife or an unfaithful husband, and he is faithful. And he uses lots of other examples to point out towards them that they are not doing what's right. They are unfaithful people, but yet he has this continuing love. If you're still open there, look at Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by, by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved. And of course the thought goes through verse 3. But Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Now if you do the word study here, the force of the Hebrew for that phrase at the beginning of verse number two, I have loved you. The force of that verb is I have loved you, I do love you, and I will love you. 
That's the force of that. It's not a one-time statement that he makes to someone or that we would make to each other. Hey, I love you. It is. I have and I do and I will continue. That's what that phrase means there. Similar to like uh, Jeremiah would say in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. I have loved thee, God says, with an everlasting love. That's how he loves us. Have you ever been in a relationship that's ended to some degree? Probably most of us have, whether it be a dating relationship or, or even a marriage of some sort. You know, it's hard for us to fathom that everlasting love because sometimes our feelings change towards someone for some reason or another. But when God says, I have loved you, that phrase there in verse 2 is not past tense. Well, I did, but y'all have messed up so bad, I'm, I'm done with you now. No, he's saying, I have, I do, and I will. I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Now this is similar to the way, because we've already talked about the rebuke for a moment, this is similar to the way in which we treat our children sometimes, right? This is the way we have to be with our children. We say, I love you, but I do not accept your behavior. My kids, you know, kids say, you don't, you're mean to me. You don't love me, you know. Say, no, I love you, but I love you enough to not let this behavior continue. I'm not, accepted, I'm not accepting that behavior. Parents say to their children, I do love you, but I will discipline you when you need it. Same thing that God is talking about in his message to Israel here by Malachi. I have, I do, I will. That includes with it discipline and that tough love, that hard love. And I am not going to accept your unfaithfulness. Just not. I'm not going to accept your casualness, your laxity when it comes to these things. And so that's important for us to think about. All right, if you have an outline in front of you, these are the four things that should be at the bottom of your outline. This is a brief, a brief outline or theme. Uh, there's a brother by the name of Frank Dunn who wrote a book called Know Your Bible. A lot of this material through each of these books comes from that book, Know Your Bible, by Frank Dunn. He says, here's some of the main ideas in a brief outline. Number one, remember. Remember God's love and remember his law. Notice in chapter 1, verse 2, we just read about I have loved you. And also in chapter 4 and verse 4, God says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Oreb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. What's he talking about there? Well, in my Bible, I have a notation. If you don't have one in yours, it's one that the printers gave me here in the middle section. But it says Exodus chapter 20 in verse 3. Do you remember what's found in Exodus chapter 20? Ten Commandments. He says, remember not only that I have loved you, but remember the law of Moses, the statutes, and the judgments. We've been emphasizing this a lot on Wednesday night in our class on giving and stewardship about the idea of the old law and the new law and the change over in that during this time they're still living under the law of Moses and God says do not forget that I have spent a lot of time I can you know kind of hear us putting human words to it I have spent a lot of time and effort to explain to you what I desire and what I need from you what I want you to do to follow and be obedient to me remember I love you but also remember the law number two Repent of sin or sins here. Repent of sins. Chapter 1 and verse number 9. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. 
This is, verse is the idea of repenting. So he tells him to remember I have loved you, but also you need to repent of your sins. That's the rebuking that we talked about just a few moment, moments ago for their casualness and their laxity. Repent of your sins. Do not continue in this behavior. I love you, but I'm not going to accept it. And you may need to repent. All right, number three. Once you repent, what do you need to do? What is part of repentance? Well, it's turning towards God. When we talk about repentance in New Testament terms, for me and for you, we talk about that it's changing your mind and allowing that to change your action. And we, oftentimes, you've seen me do it, but the preacher looks this way and he says what it is, it's a full turn and back towards God, right? Not a, not a number, not a 45, not a 90, not a degree, but a 180 degree turn back towards God. Return to God. Chapter 3 and verse number 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. It's been God's message all throughout the Bible. I know that Jesus has not died for our sins yet, but it's still the message of return to me and I will return to you. Be faithful to me and I will help you. I will love you. I will be your God and you can be my people. It was the children of Israel during the Old Testament, but for us as his church today, we have that same promise. We can be his people, but we must return to him. And then number four, rehearse to one another. Rehearse to one another. Well, what are we talking about? Look at chapter 3 and verse 16. My Bible has a heading, a book of remembrance. And notice what it says there. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. A book of remembrance. What do we do when we're gathered here together? Well, one thing we do is that we ask you to come. The elders request our presence at 9.30 each Sunday morning. They request our presence as the church here together on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, to rehearse together, to talk with one another about God's Word, to encourage one another in an informal setting, a little less formal than this, that we sometimes communicate. And the teacher asks questions and people talk and we can talk about these things and the Word of the Lord. We also come together on Sunday morning at 1030, and as a part of that service together, we remember the death of the Lord. We have someone who comes here to the front, and, and we appreciate Gabe and, and a lot of our men who do such a good job practicing and preparing, putting things together for us to think about, not just stepping up and praying, and that would be okay, but, but encouraging us through a few thoughts to remember the death of Jesus. Because we need to continue to rehearse to one another these things. I know you guys like to give the preacher a hard time and tell me that I'd stand up here and talk all day if you'd let me. And maybe I would. But the idea of rehearsing to one another, encouraging, repeating to one another, reminding one another. Brian takes time almost every month, multiple times, to tell the men, you need to be here on Monday night for our men's Bible study. We try to remind you of the women's Bible study and other things that we have. Why is that? Because I'm fine standing here and talking all day. I will. But I love when we can be together and discuss things and rehearse to one another. 
You see, part of what God is telling the people here during Malachi's time and he's still saying to us today is, yes, you need to remember. And yes, you need to repent and return, but you must continue to rehearse to one another these things. Remind one another. Repeat these things. When you go through your week, what's, what's the thing that you usually think of? What do you remind yourself of? I'd be willing to say that on Sunday night when you go home and maybe even on Monday when you wake up, maybe on Monday when you go to work, Monday afternoon after lunch, maybe you're still thinking about the sermon or class. Maybe you're still thinking about the songs that we sang and you loved one of the songs and it sounded so beautiful. Maybe you opened your Bible when you got home Sunday night or Monday morning and you studied again. But what happens sometimes? Tuesday rolls around, Wednesday, work gets harder, things get tougher, we get tired, things get in the way, and Wednesday rolls around, you know what, just, just too busy, just don't feel very good, I, I don't think I can make it Wednesday night, okay. Thursday rolls around, Friday rolls around, Saturday rolls around, and then it's a little harder on Sunday to get up, because we've stopped rehearsing, even in a micro kind of way, within ourselves. When we, in a macro way, together assemble and re rehearse and repeat to one another the things of the word of the Lord, we stay stronger. We stay more connected, not only with each other, but also with God. And so I think it's very, very encouraging when we think about the book of Malachi to realize they're going through the same thing they did. This is not new. We're not facing the worst problems ever or new issues. It certainly is a different time with technology and things, but we need to be reminded of these fundamentals. All right, before we conclude this afternoon, I've been telling you that it was coming, but of course, up next, we will take a look at the intertestamental period. And some of you may have studied that before, and some of you may say, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, but that page that I showed you in my Bible of 400 years uh, we're going to talk about what happens during that time. God may not be speaking to the people. He may be silent, but there are things that are happening. There are things that are important to your New Testament. And so it may take a month or two. And some of you know, I think I've said it already, but I realized that we didn't have a book of the month, I think, in the month of May. So we may wait till the end of June and pick up with this and try to get two in in one month. But either way, June, July maybe even August. We'll have a couple of lessons, maybe three if it takes it, but we'll work through that intertestamental period, and I hope that would be encouraging to you as you think about these things. The Bible bookcase, the bottom shelf altogether is the New Testament. We know that's what we live under, but how wonderful is it to consider that God has given us all of this so that we can know Him, and He has told us how Old Testament people, the Jews were to be faithful, and He has told us how we can be faithful. I hope that the New Testament will be encouraging to you as we get there. I know you've heard Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and Paul's epistles all your life, but I think we might can find something to encourage us as we think about how they were written or how they came to us, and, and we'll get there, God be willing, in the next few months. But it is wonderful to consider what God has given to us, including how we can be saved. That's the question of the New Testament. That's the question of people in 2023. What must I do to be saved? If you're here this afternoon, we are about to sing a song of encouragement. If you're here and you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, we'll be singing to encourage you. If you would want to study more about that, what that means, what the Bible says, we would study with you as soon as possible. Maybe you're here and you've done that, but you've wandered away. As a child of God, brother or sister, maybe you're struggling with things in your life, including sin, that you would like to let us know about so that we can pray with you and for you. We would love to encourage you now as we stand together and as we sing.